Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know you'll be alright, even when times get hard, and you feel like you're in the dark. You will see just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart. You can finally start to live your truthiest life. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so pumped to finally bring you this episode with my midwife, Yen, of TLC Midwifery. Let me just straight out the door preface this by saying prior to actually having birth at home, I was the opposite of a home birther. (laughs) I didn't know what a midwife was. I didn't know the difference between a midwife, a doula. I didn't know one person in my community or family that had had a home birth. And I looked at it as a crazy, dangerous thing to do. I ended up having the most amazing prenatal experience because of midwifery, and I ended up birthing my daughter by myself, but my understanding about women's health, what it is versus what it should be, has drastically shifted. My hope in sharing this episode is that you leave empowered and educated on topics that are typically discussed and make us feel feel, feel fearful around. To give you a little bit of a backstory, I decided to have a home birth because of two things. One, a voice within me that just said, deliver at home. The second I got pregnant, I heard that voice flash forward to actually giving birth. And even if I had planned for a home, a hospital birth, I would have ended up giving birth at home because of how fast my daughter came. And secondly, because of the times, it was the peak of COVID and the thought of being in a hospital, wearing a mask during labor and having possibly my partner not there was hugely terrifying for me. And when I really envisioned like myself giving birth, I simply didn't see it in a hospital. And it's only because I was able to peel away the layers of fear by just being curious that I shifted into being a home birther for this birth that I had at least. The second I opened a book and started learning about midwifery and uh, everything about it, the layers of fear just naturally peeled off because I was being educated about so many things that are typically not discussed or talked about with fear front and foremost. 
And it became obvious to me that this is how I was going to do it. My husband is a doctor and he comes from the mindset too of home births being dangerous. He evaluates risks of everything. He's the least risky person of all time. And at first he was like, wait, no, that's crazy. And the same thing, once he became educated, he was like, wow, this does feel really right for us. But we really did have this like hard choice moment when it came down to signing the papers with Yen to plan for a home birth, where we had to sign off on all the risks that it included. This is just protocol of having a home birth, at least within the state of New York, I assume. And looking at the realities and the dangers and signing off, I understand, I understand, I understand, like we quivered there for a moment, like, is this really the best choice? And truth be told, there was not a moment in our, during my pregnancy that I was like, yes, this is the best choice. A hundred percent. I I know this is best. And like, I, I never got cocky about it for lack of a better word. Instead, we just didn't share with our family and friends our plan. They thought that I was going through with a hospital birth and we stayed super connected to what we thought was going to be best to us. Like it's such a noisy time when it comes to birth, birth choices, people's opinions, people's experiences that we just shut everybody out and we stayed in our lane. And I think that that's kind of like the most important thing that you have to do when it comes to your birth and your choices. You need to feel safe. You need to feel secure. You need to feel empowered to change your mind at any point in time. And you need to feel like you can ask questions along the way. My experience with Yen was incredible because I felt so supported, heard, understood, listened to everything. She educated me instead of just doing things. She explained to me different options. We went over birth plans and along the way, she never made me feel badly for any of the choices that I made. And that's what truly stood out. Midwives are doing incredible work out there. And when they work with OBs and doctors, it's just magic. I went through that recently when I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy and Yen was the one to figure out something was actually going wrong and sent me to higher care. And together they worked together. And I just felt like I've never felt before when it comes to health and things going wrong. There's so much misunderstanding when it comes to this conversation and Yen beautifully and non-judgmentally clears it up. And what I love the most about Yen is she doesn't come through this with like, I think this idea that hospitals are bad or OB is bad. She really respects what everybody is doing in the the birthing world, but she discusses it with education and empowerment and she just creates a safe place to really have conversations where it doesn't feel like there's any space at all. I love this episode, and all I ask is that you listen with an open mind and open heart because you'll just come out with more information, and that's what all of us deserve when it comes to talking about birth. Let's take a listen. Hey, Yen, welcome to The Truthiest Life. Hi, Lisa. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's been an interesting last few months. As you know, you were a part yeah. of me finding out that I had an ectopic pregnancy and um, just a great source of support for me. And that is obviously like such an, a different thing to say because oftentimes the healthcare provider experience can be thorough, but not necessarily compassionate. And I always get that from you. Thank you. Like, and I always tell you, you can always call me or text me anytime. I know. When I found out that I was pregnant, surprise, accidental pregnancy, I was like, well, at least I get to see Yen a lot more this year. Like that, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was the first sign of like, I'm going to get excited about this pregnancy or my first call, as you know, and then really held my hand as things meandered away from a viable pregnancy. So thank you for that. 
we have separate podcasts on my birth story. So people know what happened, that I was planning a home birth, but also seeing an OB and kind of like figuring out what I felt more comfortable with. But ultimately, I did have a home birth and you actually weren't there for it. So yeah. how many it was home births? So quick. <laughs> how many home births have you missed? I will say less than 1%. And also, usually, if we kind of know that you're going to have a faster labor, which you're like not the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Your labor total was like three hours. <laughs> and by the time you actually call me, you're already pushing. <laughs> so it's yeah. hard. So usually, most of the time, we will make kind of our educated guess on like, you know, if people are a little bit further away, we will actually stay a little closer or go to you a little earlier to make sure that we're on top of you guys, make sure that you and baby feel safe and you don't feel like you're alone. And then, of course, if we know that now that you have a fast history, you know I'm going to be living at a new right. place. I was like, what? <laughs> you're feeling a little itch? I'm coming. <laughs> it was actually more of a joke of a question. I thought that I was the only birth that you had missed, but it sounds like it no, does happen. I mean, like sometimes it happens that like, you know, they thought that it wouldn't be that quick. And then they call you a little bit later because they don't want to bother you, which Mm. that's why I always emphasize during my visit, please call me whenever you Mm. feel anything that is out of ordinary. It doesn't matter how early it is. It could just be like, oh, I just have bloody show or I just have some cramps. You could totally call me and I'd rather know and I could check in with you guys uh, a little earlier or after a couple of hours. If nothing happens, nothing happened. But at least I'm aware. <laughs> Usually the surprise is like when things happen right at your call. <laughs> In this episode, I do want to like really get into the nitty gritty of midwifery and midwives and doulas and all of that. But I think that's my f- my favorite thing about you and midwifery and practice the whole topic is that (laughs) it starts to really chisel away that white coat syndrome that we have with our healthcare providers. The white coat syndrome being that like there's a very specific role that the patient has and a very specific role that the provider has. And I, as a patient, feel very intimidated by the doctor. So I don't ask questions. And you said like people will say, I didn't want to bother you too early. Like there, there is this part of us that we hold as patients that does not feel empowered and feels like afraid to like ask something or put a hand out before we're like positive that we need help. And I think that's something that like all of our listeners, I, I want you to really think about your relationships with your doctors or healthcare providers in general, because you're never a bother, right? Like it's your health. It's not at all. And, and you're not too with the doctor either. But mm-hmm. we do have this idea that like we are a little bit more like subservient to the dominance of the medical industry. So even with a midwife, somebody, you know, might now I know that I didn't want to bother you too early. Like that's why you missed mine. Actually, if I'm really thinking about it is because I was under the impression that your first birth is going to be really long. So my first sign symptom that I could be in labor, I was like, well, I've got 24 hours ahead of me. Like I'm not gonna call her yet (laughs) yeah so it's it's interesting but why do you think that my birth happened as quickly as it did you're definitely more of not the norm obviously i told you that usually the norm is like around 24 hours and sometimes like with good preparation you can always get less than 24 hours but i think that you just prepare your birth really really well also right during your pregnancy you did your research you do your exercise you're hydrating and like giving your body like the proper nutrients that also help you but of course that on 
under four hours or three hours is what we call precipitative birth. So you technically almost have one. You made it over three hours, so it's not considered that. But technically, mm. after th- like before three hours, it's actually called precipitative birth oh. because it's like very fast. And I think your body kind of just like recognize it. And you might be having like some early labor signs, but you weren't really paying attention to it. Remember, you text me a picture of like, oh, your belly dropped. Or like yeah. you have some discharge. And then I was yep. like, oh, all those things are good signs. And then we were doing like our natural encouragement exercises, right? And you were super excited that you saw your first colostrum with the nipple oh, stimulation. Remember, I like, forgot you about all this. It? <laughs> yeah. I remember it. And you're like, oh my God, I do make milk. <laughs> that was crazy. And you were so excited about it. And all those things actually could make your labor go much faster because a lot of times we don't emphasize it. I guess it's not like a hundred percent, you know, scientific, right? Even though nipple stimulation does encourage naturally like our production of your hormone that help you stimulate that oxytocin. But it doesn't always happen exactly. It's not like a medication where you can measure, right, that you can give to your body. So Mm -hmm. it's like those natural methods have to simultaneously happen. And you have to do it like, you know, starting at 37 weeks. And that will help your body get ready for it. And I think your body was just ready. That's why it happened so fast. I also ate dates. I think it was two dates, like every day for the last month. Yeah, it's like a two date per day. That's very leaky, you know? Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of myth about like eating spicy food and like eating pineapple and doing other stuff. But sometimes it's just like a combination of different things that you did. Right. And if I had any experience with like birth before, if I had ever given birth before, I'm sure I would have called you and been like, it's coming soon. But because I had zero idea of what to experience, like I should have been tipped off by the intensity. I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but things were intense very fast. And I assume that somebody in a 24 hour labor situation, like the intensity isn't as intense in the very beginning. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Yeah, so usually a lot of times we read about like all these different labor patterns, right? Some most common one is that you have Braxton Hicks and have early labor and then into like more consistency. And that require you to do some stimulation or walking around while you're actually in labor or it will just naturally pick up. But not a lot of people just go like straight into every three minutes, you know, intense. And I think your body is just involuntarily pushing and dialing yourself, right? Because you really feel that pressure. And that's like our instinct, our nature. And then also you are with your husband and you know, like you're in your private space that you're comfortable with and being able to allow to. Imagine if you had to run to the hospital, not saying that it's not a good idea that people who plan hospital birth, they should. if that's what they're comfortable with, but allowing your body to actually labor also kind of help you get into that space and allowing your body to labor the way it's supposed to. Right. And I mean, you and I are on the same page and Evan and I chose, we interviewed many midwives before we got really excited to work with you. And we got excited because of your background in a hospital and you are not like an extreme midwife that's like hospitals are bad and you're, you're very... I think like moderate and appropriate and still empowering people to make the best choices 
for them. And that was really, you know, important to us who were new to the idea. Evan had no idea what a midwife was. He had never heard the words midwifery. I had just like begun to like understand this. So we loved that you had that really like level headed approach to the whole thing. But what was really interesting that you said is like, I called you when I started pushing and I really want everyone to know that I did zero pushing. It was an involuntary reflex because of, like you said, the pressure. And I'm 17 months out. My baby solely 17 months. And I am in absolute awe. And I'm glad that we waited this long to do the podcast, by the way, because I think I was like too close to the event to, I don't know, process, process, appreciate, I don't know, everything. But we just have this idea of what labor is going to look like in our minds, oftentimes on our back, in the hospital gown, you know, and it was nothing like that. It was over the toilet, bearing down and zero pushing. Like my biggest fear growing up was like, I really want kids, but I don't think I'll be able to go through labor because it looks too hard. And yeah, don't get me wrong. It's not easy. You're pushed to your absolute maximum point. And it's the most involuntary thing, which can be scary-ish. But in my experience, I didn't do anything like it happened through me. So I didn't call you when I was pushing. Like I was like, okay, I it's just coming. hear your voice different. I didn't mean like you're actually yeah, yeah. pushing. I was like, oh no, she sound like she's actually grunting and yeah, voluntarily sound like she's pushing something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With like every contraction that you have. Right. So I was like, okay, definitely need to run. And then we're like packed up to go. <laughs> and you know, we tried to come as quickly as possible. And that's why I FaceTime Evan too in the whole time to make mm-hmm. sure that like we can at least support you and in case if the baby flew out and maybe did come out right before. And then we made it for the placenta <laughs> and the yeah. after. That, which was so important, having you for the placenta delivery and aftercare, being surrounded by you and my doula and just like women. I just felt so held having you there that I didn't feel like you missed anything. And it was surprisingly really nice to almost have like the most intimate, important moment of our life with nobody else there but us. Again, like I know that that's not going to be relevant to most people listening. Most husbands I've heard or partners uh, would pass out uh, is what I've kind of, I don't know if that's true. But But they rise to the occasion. Usually a lot of times they always think that they will want to stay in the back. They don't want to, but I always see that they always exceed our expectation and they do everything that they could. Of course, they will be anxious. (laughs) That's kind of normal. And then they will like, do the best that they can for their partner. And I am always amazed how well they do, even though they claim that they will pass out or they can't see blood. (laughs) My name is Rachel, and this is my new podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue. You think you know me because you've seen and heard the stories. I was most recently involved in one of the biggest reality TV scandals, coined Scandal. I'm ready to divulge the details, and you may be shocked by what you hear. I'm here to tell my story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've made some terrible decisions, but I continue to learn and grow. I've chosen to protect others by keeping secrets for far too long, and I'm ready to come clean. I've taken some time away to reflect on my actions, and I'm finally in a place where I can share what I've discovered about myself and some of the tools that I've learned. As I tell my story, I will bring on guests who have knowledge and expertise on a variety of topics. 
Listen to Rachel Goes Rogue on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back from me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers, probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's gonna be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This question just came to me. I wasn't going to ask you this, but I think it would be really interesting to know the history of birthing positions and like how it went down before modern medicine, uh-huh. like early civilizations. Was it done in the ocean? Is that where we just went to Florida and I was in the ocean and I was like, I want to have a baby in the ocean. This feels like how it was meant to be done. I don't know where that thought came from, but is there any history Pre-hospitals, what was the... I think most people did it at home. Whatever their home looks like, right? It could be by the village, by the river, by anywhere. And then Mm. usually before pre-hospital, I think the transportation is not as close. You know, like you have Mm. a designated like village kind of provider or um, that could be midwives and doctors that like really go up to you, go know the whole family, take care of generation and generation of birth in that particular family and will come like and visit you and see you and take care of you. You know, it's like that intimacy of like getting to know not just you, but like your mom, your grandma, your daughter, you know, your cousin, you know. Uh, I think it's like a different type of relationship before hospital. And of Mm. course, you know, like uh, people are like, oh, you know, before hospital come in, there is more higher maternity, morbidity and mortality rate. That's true because there might not be all these advanced technology of prenatal care, you know, all these blood work to tell us if there's a problem, all the sonograms that could predict is there any congenital problems? What is the baby's position? You know, like all these things right. that could be avoided. That's why I love the technology, but I also love our midwifery care model where we're just with women to empower them to trust their body, which a lot of times, sometimes the modern technology take that away from us a little bit. So I feel like it's a good chance for us, like when we actually promote like midwifery care, it's not like we want people to choose one way or the other to give birth. It's just to understand your body, to trust your body, and to labor the way you want to under the healthy circumstances, right? If you're low risk, if you can 
do it. And even if you choose to have the birth in the hospital, try to prepare yourself. Because a lot of times, modern women, we don't really just stay home and have babies. We have to like, you know, go to work. We have to juggle between like a bunch of things, being a daughter, being a mom, being a sister, being everything and being the breadwinner, you know, like income provider. So like there's a lot of roles that we play now and there's a lot more stress that we have to deal with than mm -hmm. just like, oh, I'm going to just stay home, take care of my kids, take care of my, you know, family, which is also very difficult just <laughs> not when I'm working, but we have more stresses. So like a lot of times we have clients that was like, oh, I'm just working till 41 week or 40 week. And because we don't have the maternity care afterward, right? Postpartum, the postpartum times that they have, it's like six to eight weeks. <laughs> that is just so short, you know, in our United States. And in other country, like you see in Canada, people are able to take like a year off that's paid, you know, for the kids. So it's like a different type of healthcare system and we try to encourage mom to be prepared a little bit more instead of like trying to make the money or save up the time for the postpartum. Hopefully they will have a better birth by like preparing themselves mentally and physically also for the birth, right? So they don't get traumatized because birth trauma is real, you know, like, and a lot of times it's not just because the provider don't want to take care of you. Sometimes it's just also the clients might not be educated in a way where, oh, I didn't realize I had this choice, or I didn't realize I could do this, or um, I didn't actually spend any time looking up these stuff because I thought I just go to what my uh, family recommend, which is the norm right right now is the hospital, and I would just like show up if I have any cramps or discharge or anything, right? Instead of like, oh, I know this is just normal early labor, I could just wait it out, hydrate, eat, walk, and then, you know, go into the hospital a little later or, you know, call your midwife if you decided to have like a home birth or, you know, go to a birthing center when it's appropriate, but you still need preparation. Any mm -hmm. of the setting, birth setting that you choose, mm -hmm. nothing is wrong with either or any of them. Why do you think people believe that home birth is so dangerous. You had mentioned in the beginning of that sentence that having hospital setting births has led to the decreased mortality of women and babies during birth. Is that a factual sentence or is there a lot more nuance to that? I think it's a lot more complicated than just that, right? Because we do have a pretty high C-section rate considering that we're a developed country, still in the 30% and all the hospital is trying to achieve to decrease that and increase like our vaginal birth. But a lot of times, you know, like when we try to support birth, it's not just like, is this the right way or the wrong way? We want to make sure that one, it's what the clients want. And the second is what around the area, what is offered, what is available, right? Even if they want a home birth, they might not have that choice in the area that they live in. It doesn't make sense. Or like if they want like a hospital birth, if they're really, really far away, sometimes they might not even get there. <laughs> they have a lot of out of hospital accident too. Mm. So I feel like there's just like a lot of different factor that we have to look into. It's not like very straightforward all the time. But of course, like, you know, I always say like balance is good. It's like a team effort. It's not just the responsibility of the hospital. It's not just the responsibility of the midwife. 
it's also the responsibility of the client, knowing that they could do their research and understand their body, really take care of like themselves also. And of course, it's our job to take care of them too, you know, to provide the best service that we can in no matter hospital and out of hospital settings. And we want, I mean, obviously we never want back outcomes, but even in like our hospital or in hospital setting, sometimes it's just unavoidable. I really appreciated that you had suggested hypnobirthing for me and hypnobirthing. If you're not familiar, we could do a whole other episode on that, but it helped me so much during labor. But beyond that, it helped me understand the phases of labor. And I felt very empowered, like understanding what was happening anatomically to my body during birth labor. Like I had some understanding and I had something to really like anchor into having like mantras and like each breath, I think it was like each breath brings me closer to my baby. And I just really love that. Your background is not just in midwifery. You have a nurse background as well, right? Yeah, I worked in NICU. That's where my original background is. And simultaneously, I just had my midwifery degree while working in NICU. And I always loved the pregnancy process ever since I was little. I always love hearing stories of my mom kind of telling me how my sister and siblings are born. You know, that's, that is the initial spike of my interest of like, I know I love babies, <laughs> but I just like don't really fully comprehend how does it come out, you know, because obviously you're, as a kid, you don't know, <laughs> you just kind of, they just show up. And I was, um, you know, born and uh, raised in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, it's like under UK rule when I was born. Um, so originally, usually the first kid were born in hospital and the rest of the kids usually are born in the birthing center. And oh. um, a lot of times they also have choices of like home birth, a uh, hospital birth and birthing center is quite common. Like you can choose any and every one of them, you know, like if you feel like, and usually the midwives, you know, take care of all the normals. And then if there's any complication, then the OB stepped in. But it's a very good collaborative relationship in the oh. UK. And I feel like I learned a lot, you know, when I go visit and then when I go visit my cousins and stuff like that. Now hear the story. And even though I haven't seen her since I was 10, it ended up like both of us became nurses. <laughs> what what type of nurse were you or are you? For me, I'm um, actually an RN, like a BSN, oh. so Bachelor oh. of Nursing. And mm -hmm. midwifery is um, a master degree. And then I also have my doctorate. Oh, yeah. Wow. So does every midwife ha have that background? Not every midwife. Usually midwife, like they have three different types. They have CPMs, which is like, I think licensed midwife and they followed uh, like a curriculum and they take a different board called mean. And then usually what they do is that like they are considered licensed midwife, but they're not, um, there, there's restriction on like prescriptions or, you know, like giving um, medications. And the other two types are like, you know, CMs and CNM. And mine is CNM, which is like a certified nurse midwife. And then there's also certified midwife. Basically, it's like Austin Lay, except I just have a nursing background, but they're all very well trained and they usually have a lot of like birth before we can actually graduate. And then of course, like CNM, we mainly do our rotation through hospitals. And in my background, I actually did all hospital actually rotation. It's only after I graduate, then I went into 
I always want to explore different options just to like see how birth can be different, you know, because you hear stories, but then it's so hard in um, New York City to find a birthing center. So at that time, Oakland Birthing Center is like the only birthing center available. So I kind of, I also worked part-time in that location just to explore like out of hospital birth. And simultaneously, I might help like some home birth midwife um, and or like shadow some home birth midwife to make sure that like I kind of get a hang of that too. Because a lot of times when you only train in a hospital, that's all you will know. Right. As a provider, it is totally normal to be afraid of like what we don't know. What is better than just learning it firsthand and learning to see, hey, what, how do they all like work? As, and so we can work better as a team. I'm kind of approaching this as or trying my best to approach it in the place that I was right before I got pregnant, which is I didn't even know what a midwife is. So is there a definition for what a midwife is? My name is Rachel, and this is my new podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue. You think you know me because you've seen and heard the stories. I was most recently involved in one of the biggest reality TV scandals, coined Scandival. I'm ready to divulge the details, and you may be shocked by what you hear. I'm here to tell my story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've made some terrible decisions, but I continue to learn and grow. I've chosen to protect others by keeping secrets for far too long, and I'm ready to come clean. I've taken some time away to reflect on my actions, and I'm finally in a place where I can share what I've discovered about myself and some of the tools that I've learned. As I tell my story, I will bring on guests who have knowledge and expertise on a variety of topics. Listen to Rachel Goes Rogue on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers, probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Is there a definition for what a midwife is? It actually means with woman. Oh, that's what the words actually mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that is exactly what it means, that we're 
they're with women and where there's four women. But what would be the differentiators of a midwife versus a doctor, despite obviously the medical degree and all of that? Yeah, the medical degree. And of course, we don't deal with like high risk pregnancies and we don't deal with like all these complications on like pathological things that could happen in pregnancy, even though we are aware of it, we know of it. But we also know that like the doctors are trained to handle these situations and we do trust their ability to do these like and handle these situations. Of course, they also like know normal births, right? But we don't do any C-sections. We don't like, you know, take care of like people that are like super high risk that have like a lot of like medical problems. So those we should like refer to like the doctors to see, to make sure that they have good care. And what about midwife versus doula? And now I'm very comfortable with this language, but in the beginning, I, I really wasn't. What is a doula? is a trained birth support person. And and doula doesn't have to be licensed, but of course a lot of doulas is licensed. You could say that like my mom is my doula. She Mm. could take a course and like, you know, get licensed for it because one of my clients did that. And the mom actually want to know more and to how to support her daughter and did the doula training. They have to go through birth. They have to see and support and learn how to do the right thing for the mom and learn the different stages of labor. They like, you know, really um, study birth and the anatomy of like, you know, what is it supposed to happen? What's normal? What's not normal? Um, But of course, it's not a medical degree. So they technically cannot like, you know, check on the baby. Sometimes if they experience, they will be able to tell or like, you know, see signs. And a lot of times I work with amazing doulas and they will be able to tell me like, oh, you know, I think she's very active. Just come now, you know, even though I might not even talk to you, the client yet, they were there already. And I usually always keep in touch with my doula to make sure that like we work as a team and we will meet them before prenatal, uh, during prenatal. So we can actually know exactly what we're expecting, what the client are expecting and what we want to do and how we could communicate better uh, during the labor process. So usually this is what we want to do. I loved having a midwife and a doula. I felt obviously supported before, during, over the phone. And then after having both of you there, I felt so supported. But I, I am very passionate that no matter what type of birth you are considering having, home birthing center or hospital that you do have a doula. I'd even probably say it's most important in a hospital because that's the place that we lose our voice and your doula can be your advocate. You spend so much time with them going over what your wants and and non-wants are. And even if you change your mind, that's totally fine in the hospital, whether that's to have an epidural or not. In either of those directions, you decide not to have it and you have it, you decide to have it, and then you're like, I don't want it. But it's very, hospitals are very disorienting for me and like voice losing. So even if I know what I want, it like that white coat syndrome, it's so hard to speak up and to understand what they're saying. Medicine is a completely different language. So having like almost an interpreter there to help and slow down a lot of what feels very urgent, that's something that I think doula work is just really, really important. Um, I always suggest all my moms to like, you. every woman deserve a doula. Yeah. 
you know, Seriously. I mean, of course, we always want to say every woman deserves a midwife too. Yeah. But, you know, it really depends on what the client's comfortable with. And if they are high risk, they should see a doctor. But of course, you know, like we will be, there's a midwife that works in the hospital that could co-manage clients like that too. So you can always see a midwife. Yeah, there's there's so much that isn't black and white that I thought was just because you have a midwife doesn't mean that you have a home birth. Mm-hmm. Where I live, the closest hospital, at least at the time of my birth, things might have changed, doesn't allow for midwives to deliver. So for me, my op- my best option was a home birth in order to work with a midwife. And also there are no birthing centers by me. I think if I lived somewhere where there were birthing centers, that would have been like the best idea for me as somebody that didn't know anything because in a birth setting... In a, sorry, in a birthing center, you have all the supplies and everything ready for some for emergencies. Is that correct? Yeah, but usually in the home birth, we also bring like similar supply to the birth. But the only difference usually a lot of times is like you said, if you live close to a birthing center, sometimes first time parents, and we're like so used to the idea that you have to go, go yeah, somewhere exactly, right, yeah. for a birth, mm-hmm. like yeah. we're so used to... Like we have to, like, why, why are we doing it at home? <laughs> that is totally normal. That's like 99.9% of the people. But then afterward they were like, oh yeah, I would go to a birthing center. And home birth is more like, of course, if you're in safe and baby's like healthy, everything was normal during your pregnancy, then home is actually like a more relaxing and you don't actually have to go anywhere because imagine trying to travel when you're in active labor, that was mm-hmm. hard. I did that. (laughs) But that was hard. We're going to talk about your labor. That's coming up soon. Yeah. There's so much that is nuanced in these conversations. And I just hope people leave this short conversation knowing that there are various options. And most importantly, that you can change your mind at any time about anything related to your specific birth. In the beginning, you mentioned the word birth trauma. And maybe you could just touch on what birth trauma is, because a lot of people might be holding that and not know that there's validation to it. And maybe they can begin working through that if they understand what it is. I think birth trauma is just any event that happens during your birth process or prenatal care that you feel like your opinion or your personal space is being violated. A lot of times it doesn't mean some bad outcome is happening. It could just be like a normal birth, like in Mm -hmm. a hospital. Some people will feel that they're traumatized because they don't feel heard. Like they feel like, oh, they push into a certain situation, but they don't really fully understand what happened and why are they there. And a lot of times that just comes in um, as provider, we have to just like better explained and like have more compassion and you know patient to explain to the clients like what is going on because it is a very scary things when you are in a hospital and you're full of all these great professionals but you don't know anything about healthcare and you're just a mother wanting to just give birth safely and want to you know like hopefully get through it because it hurts <laughs> and then like you know someone just tell them like what to do And then suddenly like 10 people rush in and say, oh, something is wrong. We have to go to a C-section. But like they don't know what's going on. Sometimes it's like very shocking to individual. Like it's hard to process, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes most people will just accept it just because they're like, okay, it's better for my baby. Mm -hmm. But then afterward, when they have time to think back and they're like, oh, 
what did that ha- why did that happen and then of course sometimes they do a little bit more research and then they realize oh i should have asked this or i should have stood up for myself about this or i should have questioned this but a lot of times it's also like you know like how we could also educate ourselves right there's like different things that we can do to empower ourselves during birth also so you can ask the right question to make sure that like you totally understand you know things are done to your body so you don't feel like oh you know i did not ask that and you regret that you didn't do it mm-hmm. you know but at the moment a lot of us won't even think about it can we talk about epidurals a little bit i say this I think everybody needs to have the birth that they need to have to feel the safest. Exactly. And remove the fear. That's really important. I never thought twice about not having an epidural, meaning I grew up always being like, I'll have an epidural in the hospital, whatever. When I started learning about epidurals, and I don't want to say anything incorrectly here, but my memory very much remembers being like, wait a second, I don't want an epidural if it's going to do this. That light bulb went off for me, and I never really looked back from that moment. And I remember learning that epidurals can, well, obviously block you from the pain, right? But then disconnect you from what your body needs to do. And I was like, wait, I don't want to do anything to interrupt this process. Do you think that this, I don't want to make it a loaded question or, or pointed. Do you think that epidurals can result in more C-sections? Because if you are not feeling the sensations, you're not pushing, and then more things can go wrong if the baby wants to get out, but it's not getting out, and therefore you have to move quickly. Is that is there any truth to that sentence? I don't think so, because like everything else, is a combination, is the whole picture, right? It's not just because of epidural, right? We don't want to point fingers like, don't have the epidural because epidural is bad. It's not. Because some people need the epidural to help them relax in mm. order to fully dilate, because mm. they just sit cannot relax enough, you know, to progress. And sometimes the epidural state doesn't even be wow. to, like climbing off the wall. And they're not really like, you know, like you taking the hypnobirthing class. They're like, I'm not prepared for this mentally. Even if I am prepared, I didn't know how I would react when I feel that sensation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's totally normal. And I always say, don't feel guilty if you need to use it, but don't choose it because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Of what you don't know, right? Like how we always say, don't choose the birth because you're afraid. Don't get a C-section because you're afraid. But if you need it, it's there and you should use it. Don't say no just because you think that's bad, but you need what you need. And that's why it's a great things that we have the technology, but also at the same time, we're trying to empower your body and mind to make sure that we have a great balance in this world instead of like just saying this is bad and that is good mm-hmm. no it's not but of course if we ever overuse certain things right we're overly afraid we overly emphasize like you have to do it this way if not then it's a wrong way then that's not good I agree right because not all women are the same every one of us are individual that's why we emphasize an in individual care And we want to get to know you as an individual person instead of like just a woman going through labor. You know, you have to fit that profile, but not everybody fit that profile. Not everybody can dilate and make changes every three hours. But unfortunately, sometimes that is kind of like a standard of care where, you know, like you'll get checked and that's something that they would do in the hospital. And sometimes you have provider that will give you more time. 
you know, depends on the comfort level, the training background, and like their belief also. And on top of like, they have to also abide by like hospital protocol and things that they need to answer to. Mm, hospital protocol. <laughs> so it's like a lot of different level of stuff. It's like really hard to say, but I think as a woman, I always encourage anyone who are planning to be pregnant or pregnant to just like do their research and really like do a little soul searching and see really what sits well with you, right? Obviously there's different choices, but sometimes like, you know, the choice that you want might not be something that is available to you, but doesn't mean that you cannot ask questions. You can still ask questions, ask your doctor, uh, ask your midwives, you know, ask your friends. I love that you said soul searching because when I was pregnant, I really got like the download of like home birth and that was that. And like, I just moved forward with it very mentally. But I always said in my next birth, like I'm going to listen to what comes up too, because for whatever reason, you know, I now know why I got that download. She was born at home. And even if I had planned a hospital birth, I wouldn't have made it there. (laughs) Right. So that's, that's where that came from. But next time, you know, there could be a complication. And if I listen to myself, maybe something else will come up. Who, who knows? My name is Rachel, and this is my new podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue. You think you know me because you've seen and heard the stories. I was most recently involved in one of the biggest reality TV scandals, coined Scandal. I'm ready to divulge the details, and you may be shocked by what you hear. I'm here to tell my story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've made some terrible decisions, but I continue to learn and grow. I've chosen to protect others by keeping secrets for far too long, and I'm ready to come clean. I've taken some time away to reflect on my actions, and I'm finally in a place where I can share what I've discovered about myself and some of the tools that I've learned. As I tell my story, I will bring on guests who have knowledge and expertise on a variety of topics. Listen to Rachel Goes Rogue on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back from me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers, probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's gonna be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
A lot of people do say, I had to have an emergency C-section, so thank God I was in a hospital. What are your thoughts on this? Are all emergency C-sections really emergencies? What's kind of going on in the hospital that results in those situations? I can't speak to all, but a lot of times the emergency could be prevented. We do hear stories, I'm just saying based on my knowledge, not saying overall, that we see cases where, you know, like the birth became an emergency when like the baby didn't tolerate the Pitocin induction. What does the Pitocin do again? The Pitocin is an oxytocin. It's like a medication that they use in your IV to help you induce your labor or augment your labor. If like your labor is not consistent or you're being induced, then that's usually one of the medication that they will use in the hospital to help you dilate Mm. your face. So sometimes baby just don't tolerate it. Like Mm. my baby didn't tolerate it at all. (laughs) Okay, so let's actually move into your pregnancy. So Yen and I were pregnant at the same time, which was really fun and interesting and bonding for me at least. Uh Me too. (laughs) Did being pregnant change your opinion on birth? And can you share a bit of your birth story if you're comfortable, just because it is unique that you did not end up having a home birth as a midwife who does home births? So me and my husband actually went through like a pretty long getting to pregnant journey. I wouldn't bore you guys with that. How old are you? 39. Okay. I just feel like some people might think that you, first of all, you look much younger, but that <laughs> a lot of people really think that you can't get pregnant 39, 40. Yeah. So it's not that I can't, it's just that every time I'm ovulating, I have a birth. <laughs> so that um, my birth always hijacked my- And you're attending a birth. Pregnancy. <laughs> Got it. But I love it. I mean, like I'm passionate about my birth, so they make me happy. Sometimes I'm just too tired afterward. I just have to specify that you mean attending a birth of a patient, not yeah, that of you- Of a patient. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. And then also like getting back on debt, like I'm 39 and then I did like, you know, do the journey. I try like for three years actually before I have my pregnancy that you know of. And uh, before that, I did have doubt too, you know, like it's, it's a stressful <laughs> journey. And then I did see like an infertility doctor, actually he's my chief. And he will tell me also like, because of your age, and even if you do IVF, which is better, that you only have 60% success rate. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm only like 36 or 37 at that time. And I don't feel that old. And I could imagine like what people go through if they actually have to go through IVF, which, you know, my sister did. But I luckily, right before I decided that if I don't get pregnant by this month, I did give myself like a deadline after three years of trying naturally. If it didn't happen, then I will see the IVF doctor, which is also my chief from past work experience. Mm. So he was great. But at the same time, I was like, do I really want to go to that? It's like a lot of things that you have to put in your body. So I was really avoiding it. So I'm just lucky that I actually got pregnant before. And then after that, it was just a lot of people will tell me because I'm a homebred midwife and especially the dads, they would joke with me and say, you're a homebred midwife. You're planning a home birth, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I mean, like I would try. I don't see why not as long as like, you know, everything is fine. And you know, me and babies are okay. And that's what I usually always tell my clients too. It's like, as long as 
everything points to like you can try you can you know um and of course you know we have emergency hospital transfer plan installed and like my stable hospital transfer plan like we always like you know talk about at every birth to make sure that like you know we don't assume when you plan a home birth is a guarantee home birth is not it just means that you're going to have a support team that comes to you when you're in active labor to make sure that are you safe to continue or if you need to i rush you to the hospital the first thing and i'll give report to make sure that in most cases safe baby and safe mom in my next pregnancy i'll be high risk simply because i i will be above 35 i was 33 or 34 at my last and putting you at that high risk category i'm just curious do first of all do you accept patients over 35 i do and we just take evidence-based precautions, right? We want to make sure that, like, you know, your pregnancy is as healthy as it, it is. We look at all the numbers. We look at you and your physical and mental preparation. Mm. It's not about just your number and age. But, of course, there is higher risk when it's, like, advanced maternal age. So we do give uh, proper counseling and make sure that, you know, you see the MFM and you do your sonograms that you're supposed to, you know, starting at 33, we suggest that, you know, but of course, you know, like sometimes people might want to refuse, but we will explain to you why those sonograms are necessary just to, you know, give you a safety net to make sure that like, hey, everything is okay and we can continue. Not just, oh, we're going to just hop into this blindly and say, okay, you should be fine. No, we you'll take proper precautions to make sure and of course, if things point out that you need to be in the hospital or you need to be transferred to more high risk category than you would, but you don't automatically get um, categorized technically on the high risk, you're more like what we call at risk, if they mm-hmm. call it like, you know, advanced maternal age. It's just an age, right? I have people that perform better when they were like in their late 30s with the second kid than 10 years ago when they have the first kid at the 20s. Okay, so back to your story. You were planning for a home birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that I kind of didn't listen to my advice about getting ready (laughs) because I was working (laughs) until I was 41. So I was a bad patient. (laughs) But I also promised this mom that I will be there for her. And my due date was September 21st, like that song. Um, And her due date was September 12th. And I really want to support her and her birth because she was really alone and um, she didn't Mm. really have the financial and things to support her. And I said, hopefully, please make sure that you don't deliver after me. Or like, if I could, I will still be there. But of course we had backup plan in case I can go there. Another midwife will go in my place, but I will prefer to go for her also because she's also in the Asian community and she speak Chinese, which is my native language. So I feel like sometimes it's important for her to feel like someone, you know, from her culture take care of her also, you know, when she's alone and not really having much support. Walking into your office, I felt like you do really care for people that do not necessarily have financial means. And I don't know if that means making different arrangements for them, but it felt like such a community place. I loved it. Yeah. And I want to create this safe place for people to come in, even if like sometimes I might not be able to take care of them to get the information that they need or to find someone that can actually take care of them better. 
sometimes that's just all they need is just someone to tell them like how can I prepare myself you know even for hospital birth even if it's not my client you know just to get ready for your birth and for your baby right how to prepare for your postpartum because sometimes we spend 99% of our energy on the birth mm. and then after the birth came out it's like what the hell am I going to do with this baby <laughs> that was me but I interrupted you for the second time I'm not going to do it again okay so you told this woman that you're going to work with her who her due date was before yours what ended up happening My name is Rachel, and this is my new podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue. You think you know me because you've seen and heard the stories. I was most recently involved in one of the biggest reality TV scandals, coined Scandaval. I'm ready to divulge the details, and you may be shocked by what you hear. I'm here to tell my story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've made some terrible decisions, but I continue to learn and grow. I've chosen to protect others by keeping secrets for far too long, and I'm ready to come clean. I've taken some time away to reflect on my actions, and I'm finally in a place where I can share what I've discovered about myself and some of the tools that I've learned. As I tell my story, I will bring on guests who have knowledge and expertise on a variety of topics. Listen to Rachel Goes Rogue on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers, probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, like literally 10 days before mine. So she finally, like she did deliver around her due date and I was free to go and I was able to get some help to help me in the office. But I still have a last minute case that I have to deal with. So I went back at 41 week just to take care of this newborn baby that my friend refer him over to like do a more holistic circumcision. So because if not, they will have to wait a month at least before I can come back to take care of them because I'm trying to do that 30 days postpartum resting if I can. But during my labor, I was like 41 and three and I was still not really having anything. But during all my like labors, 
starting at 37 weeks, I was already having Braxton Hicks. For some reason, once I was done <laughs> with work, then the baby is like, oh, I can rest now. I don't need to like nudge mommy to come early. <laughs> so I feel nothing <laughs> but like a couple of days. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to just like relax. But then after an inch into like 41 weekend, three days. And of course, I do have like weekly sonograms myself because of my age. And I do believe in it. I just want to make sure like for in my, my standpoint, I'm okay with like doing all these sonograms. But at the end of my pregnancy, just to make sure that fluid's okay, placenta is okay, my baby's not like too big, too small, whatever it is. Even though I can check, I try not to be midwife to myself. Yeah. <laughs> I try to like just go through the system of like, I would just enjoy the pregnancy as a client, <laughs> as a mom to be and be on the other side. So basically everything was checked out fine and I started to do the induction cocktail, which I always tell clients maybe they could try when they're post 41 week, which is like the casual oil cocktail that I usually give you guys if you're post date and I drink that, it was not bad. That's why I could tell people. Oh, you drink it. I tried oh. it. It doesn't okay. taste nasty at all. Mm. Because it's like a combination of like apricot juice, almond butter, you know, like it's a specific cocktail. Oh. And of course, I started cramping, I would say within 12 hours after I drank it. And then I started like, you know, pumping, doing all the natural stuff that we're supposed to do. And then things start to pick up. But I did break my water a little early, you know, like in the earlier phase of my labor but the baby sounds great it was clear everything was okay so i continued to labor at home and i think it was like hour 24 or 28 and i um, asked my midwife to you know come over and check to see if i made any progress so i was only three centimeter at that time and because at that time they also saw like a little meconium stain i think it will be a good call to go to the hospital so what is the meconium stain? That just means the baby pooped inside. And mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't mean anything. You know, like you could still continue to labor as long as you're progressing. But I, my contraction just wouldn't get to the point where I think is consistent enough. Mm -hmm. Because it's still kind of like it's strong, but it's not super regular. It's not like every two to three minutes. It's kind of like sometimes five minutes, sometimes three minutes. So, you know, like it still kind of could spread out if I don't move around. So I feel like it's good time to, you know, like go to the hospital to get a little medication help because I also believe in that when I actually take care of my client, I want to buy everyone the best outcome, right? If I send you in the hospital too late, that might also guarantee your C-section. I rather send them in when they could get a little extra help that cannot be helped at home. So you can have a vaginal birth and you can always come back to me. So that's what I want. You know, my goal is for all my clients to make sure that they have the best care in general. Of course, they have to understand the reason why we transfer. And of course, we always discuss about like, oh, you know, if you want to try one or two more hours, as long as baby is doing well and you're good, you can. And of course, my midwife, my friend, she's willing to support me in whatever way I choose. And I just made the decision with her and we decided let's just go to the hospital so I could get a little Pitocin mm. to help me with the contractions to get it more regular. And hopefully we can dilate faster without like, because you can't anticipate how long will it take for you from three centimeter to 10. It could be another 
three hours or it could be another 20 hours mm. you know Jeez. so it's kind of like one of those i was like it's great when it's fast but of course it's hard to process right when things happen so fast but most of the time it's like pretty long <laughs> and i was still great because i was able to drink i was able to eat but i don't really regret my choice and i don't regret going to the hospital i don't regret trying to um try at home it's because i chose this right and i was still able to eat and drink and experience the birth choices that I chose, right? Because mm. people are like, are you traumatized? Like, do you regret making the choice? Are you sad that it, it ended up being a C-section because I did have a C-section because my kid would not tolerate the medication at all. So I you got the Pitocin pitiful. and it didn't yeah, work. It was okay. in the pit of what? But just the lowest pit you can get. Mm. My kid was like, oh no, I don't like it at all. <laughs> and the hospital was great. They took care of me. They tried the best, you know, like they... Um, saw that he had D-cell, I have the oxygen, and then they uh, stopped the medication and, for a little bit and they tried again to restart, but my kid just won't like it, mm-hmm. don't like it at all. And that happens. And that's why sometimes people plan induction or like, you know, 80% of the time the induction will work perfectly fine, no problem. And sometimes you have like these individual kids like mine that it's like, ah, oh, I don't like it at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at least in my mind i kind of know that i try my best laboring as much as i can and i don't regret it and of course like you know next time i'll be like "Mm, maybe i should exercise a little bit more or like you know take off a little bit earlier (laughs) whatever (laughs) maybe that will change some outcome but like i will prepare myself a little bit better also, you know, because that that's why we always tell them, mom, don't work till last minute because mentally you are also stressing, even though it might not be a stressful job, but you're mentally not really in your body to prepare mm-hmm. for your birth. That is n- not the only reason why my labor didn't go the way that I want, but I always have a backup plan in my head. And that's why I always are okay. You know, like I'm not traumatized by that because we talked about it and i as a midwife i'm i love the hospital i love the birthing center and i love home birth so like i know that like hey if i need the hospital they're there to support me and they did we went to Maimonide and they were great all the nurses are super nice how we're like just chatting yeah and i did have the epidural because i had a lot of back labor the baby was just in a weird position he was really really low but it's not an emergency C-section. It was just that the baby couldn't tolerate, you know, the Pitocin. So we went in for a C-section because after a couple of hours, I went in midnight and by 10 a.m., nothing yeah. is happening and nothing changed and they have to stop and start the medication. And that's the only thing that they could do to help me with the contraction. They did the best that they can too. So under that circumstances, the next choice is C-section and that is fine. And probably because I also know hospital and know like how hospital functions and like the reasons behind all the policy and procedure I totally understand that is the next step so like for me it's just probably easier to understand like you know what is happening some client might be very confused and like half the time we do hear stories like you know people come back and say I don't know why this is done but I think it is this, this, this. But I was like, are you sure? <laughs> that is why they actually did this? Right. I, I doesn't sound right. But, you know, like sometimes it's also good to like learn about your birth and um, you can always get your medical record. Medical records. You understand yeah. like, hey, what happened? Or just like, you know, so you have a record for your next birth. 
That's mm-hmm. all. I always think that is like a learning experience for everyone. And for me, it's a learning experience on the client side, right? Because then now I know what a C-section feels like. And it's a lot more pressure than what I usually like. I, I could see that we like because I do first assist in the hospital when I worked in a hospital. So it is a lot more pressure than a lot of time. Like I might underplayed it a little, mm-hmm. you know, because you're never on that yes. side. And obviously... People are like, oh, do you need to be on that side to like tell the story? Sometimes you could tell a better story and describe and prepare the client a little bit better because you went through yeah. that process. And sometimes like going through the hospital, a lot of times people like complain about the postpartum, like people waking them up every couple of hours. That oh is true. God. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> that is totally oh. true. I didn't have that experience, but I, I can like. I mean, yeah, so they complain <laughs> about that. But usually the nurses are like amazing and nice. They like, you know, chit chat with you and want to, um, you know, like make sure that you're well rested and well taken care of. In my case, my baby also went to NICU because, you know, my water broke for a while. So they actually want to keep the baby for observation. So he's like a big old baby mm-hmm. <laughs> big cute, do, 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 doing nothing and separated from me. So that one, I will say, was a little frustrating to me because if it's like a hospital policy and they have to monitor the baby, I totally get it. But if they're doing nothing, it's just like the policy can't be bent according to the individual, right? They have to do it this way. That's what policy is for. So that is the only downfall on my afterbirth. I was like, great. I was totally fine. And then afterwards, just the feeling of that you separated from your baby and you only saw him for like a few seconds and then he's already shipped out. So for me, I, you know, just did the hand expression. I was like, that's the only thing I feel like I could do for him (laughs) and it keep me distracted. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel sad that I don't have my baby right away. And I finally get to see him for the first time after 12 hours, even though they were saying that maybe 24 hours. And I was like, I can't wait 24 hours because after C-section, if people don't know, you do get like, you know, numb, right? From the epidural and then you have a catheter because you can't feel to pee. So you have to empty out your bladder. So they put a catheter in you. And usually after C-section, the earliest that you can request to remove the catheter is 12 hours after. And then, you know, when you have a catheter and after surgery they don't suggest you moving so they move you to like a postpartum unit until you can actually you know prove that you can pee after the gather so i was on the clock i was telling the nurse okay 10 p.m (laughs) i definitely made a fuss on the postpartum was like why can't i (laughs) it's so much to go through all that and then be separated from your baby i didn't even realize that and I, i just learned so much in those last like 30 seconds of you describing a C-section. I didn't know about the catheter. Like three weeks after my labor, vaginal labor, I couldn't walk. Remember, I had you come check to see if like there was some sort of a hidden tear. Anyway, my point is that like when I couldn't walk for three weeks and it stung so bad to pee, I was like a C-section would have been easier. But in hearing what you're saying, no type of birth is easier than another. They each come with. Yeah, they all come with something. I mean, it's not all the time when you have a vaginal birth, you will have like these problems too. Some combination of everything. So like I went at 12 hour 12 but luckily my kid latched really well so he doesn't actually have to stay in the queue for more than like 24 hours mm. so i was happy <laughs> yes even though i was you know pregnant recently and saw yen i have seen her before this because she comes to do my well woman's visit at my home so i get a pap smear at home with yen and it's like 
It's incredible. It's I'm just game changing. Can you tell people a little bit about what people come to you for outside of just midwifery, outside of being pregnant? Yeah, other than pregnancy, like usually as midwife, we can take care of women in general. Like we do well women visits. We can take care of you if you're not feeling well. We can take care of like people that have period problems to like menopause. So like we have a wide range of uh, people from like 14, 16 to like 80. I have clients that come to me because She's 80 years old and she followed me from another practice and came because she had a history of like uterine prolapse because of age. So she she need like a support called pastry. So like the support actually helped hold her uterus in place without actually going through surgery because she was like, I'm 80. Why would I want to go through surgery? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like if you fix it, it's still like recovery time. Smart. She's like, one of those aunties that like I love. So I go to her actually because originally she even like paid, but she's like 80. <laughs> she, her and her cute little husband will come to my office and every three months to do a pastry clean because like um, I do teach them. So I was like, you know, so then you don't have to waste money, you know, to come see me. I will teach your husband how to clean it. But then they're like, no, 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 no. I just want to come see you. I don't know. It's okay. You know, luckily they live quite close to me. So even if they don't, I probably will still go to their home because, you know, like they like a very cute couple (laughs) and I could drive. I'm still young. So I go to them every three months to do the pastry change and then like chit chat and, you know, like about her health in general. You know, she had diabetes, but she loved to eat. So (laughs) So talk to her. It's like, yeah, you can't have these breads <laughs> that much. <laughs> and she'll go over stuff with me. I think she just feel a little less pressured compared to her traditional doctor, which I think she's great also. But in general, because you don't go see your doctor all the time, sometimes it's always good to have someone to like just call and say, hey, what's this? You know, is this normal? And then like, you know, sometimes she'll randomly text me, oh, no, I don't know if I want to check my sugar because it's like so high. (laughs) And then I have to kind of lecture her, like her daughter and say, did you just eat this, 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 this? (laughs) Why did you eat that? You know that you're not supposed to. But she's 80, you know, and you have to enjoy life, even though you know that sometimes, hey, as a diabetic, you might not be able to eat all these things. It's the same thing in pregnancy. Like it's you don't need a perfect pregnancy, but you just need to know in general that we want to take care of you. And hopefully you don't go crazy, like eating a bunch of sugar when you're diabetic and you should be fine. Like, yeah. I'm making sure the baby's going well. I wanted to sh- ask you two last questions that are more general. If I recall you educated me about cervical sweeps. And so when Mm -hmm. I saw Yen, I was also working with the OB because like I said, I was new to the whole thing and I really wanted both lines of care. So when I went to the OB, they really wanted to, maybe not a cervical sweep, a cervical check. Is that the same thing? No, it's not. So cervical check is just to check your cervix to see if dilated, if your face, cervical sweep is literally if if you could, if you're like dilated, maybe like, half a fingertip or a fingertip if you actually can go through this uh, cervical canal to separate the membrane from the cervix to stimulate the hormones that could get you contracting right okay so it was it was just a cervical check that they were going to do a cervical check probably right and i declined it and it was like really hard to use my voice but you would kind of i believe you had mentioned like you don't need to do that is that correct does that sound like something you would say 
Yeah, because usually in the, a lot of offices, OB office, it is kind of standard that they will actually start doing cervical check at like maybe even 35, 36 weeks, but most of the time, maybe 37 weeks weekly, just to see if you make any progress. But you know that if you're not contracting, you're not having any signs, it's a very uncomfortable process and it's not necessary because if you're having labor, you checking five times doesn't make the labor go faster. I mean, like it might make the provider feel better if like, you know, they kind of know and they say that they checked that nothing is happening. Right. But it doesn't actually change any management. Right. Mm. So in my practice, we don't really do cervical check. And, you know, some people can refuse it because sometimes they have trauma in the past that they really want minimal vaginal checking. Mm. Um, and we try to respect that. But sometimes I will say, you know, you still have to practice because baby needs to come out. And sometimes you need to work in that space to prepare yourself mentally. And Got sometimes there'll be some practice that we tell you and the partner to do, you know, to prepare you so you won't be shocked. <laughs> you don't even know why you got a cervical check and then you show up in the office and you didn't expect it and then someone sticking their finger in your vagina might not be that. Right. And a cervical sweep, is that something that you would do or recommend to somebody? Only if I say if it's necessary, right? Because remember, cervical sweep is to simulate labor or like try to simulate labor. Because of the separation of the membrane from the cervix, usually it will produce like a hormone that could help with starting contraction. So usually what happens is some provider might do a cervical sweep when you're termed or when you're like 39 weeks or if like 40 weeks, if they think that, oh, you know, it will help you get into labor. So that will be something that they will offer because it's like the somewhat least invasive or other than like if you know castor oil, right? Because um, castor oil is not something that like highly recommended within the OB world. It's just more what we know is a natural induction in the mm. more natural right. like realm where we like, you know, do our research or like most midwife might suggest it. But a lot of times in an OB office, they usually don't say, yeah do castor oil. <laughs> right, right. And usually we're like, okay, at 39 weeks, we'll do this. And if you need to be induced, if you didn't give birth by 41 week and three days or 40 weeks and three days, then we'll do something, whatever the policy and procedure of that office or the hospital is, that's what they will tell you, you know? Mm. How many births have you attended? I will say... Uh, you don't have the, the number? You don't have a list? Uh -huh. After a while, you just don't keep it yeah. anymore. <laughs> Because I think at least more than a thousand. What? Um, oh, I was expecting like 300. Oh my gosh. No, I have 300 in like a year before. I have, well, because <laughs> remember I told you I work like a crazy person. Right. I worked like in a hospital simultaneously in a birthing center and simultaneously helping or doing my own home right. births though. And when I was in the private practice that helps out an OB and deliver and she has a pretty busy office. Mm -hmm. also. So we do a lot of delivery in the hospital. And also when I worked in the hospital, I also service like the Chinese community, probably because they want to utilize my language skill to service the community and the Spanish community. I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> so I need my friend to translate. Like right. we have a translator. I always rely on my medical assistant that location, but I love them. 
So usually like those are the two areas that like I'll service the community, trying to build up community centers that like, you know, better service people with like a language barrier or, you know, it might be more comfortable if they actually see people that can speak their language. Well, it's very clear that you you love what you do and you empower and hold space for a lot of people that might not otherwise like in this country specifically really feel like they can, you know, if you can't speak the language, it's hard enough for somebody with in who does speak fluent English to speak up for their health. Like it, it's infinitely harder for somebody who speaks Chinese or Spanish or anything to yeah. process and use their voice. So it's great that you're that counterpart. My last question is just about birthing positions. You've experienced or witnessed over a thousand births, the ones that were not in the hospital. So they're not in typical lying on your back position, which from what I've read, not sure if this is true. The, the reason that women birth on their back is because that's easier for the doctor to see. Is that correct? It is. And also you can't just have women climbing all over the place and moving over if like you need to continuously monitor them and have right. the moms or I will say 90% of the mom might be an epidural so they can't even move. So you can't move if you have an epidural? It's like you're numb right. from back down so it's like a fall risk Got if it. you try to right so you might fall because you don't feel your extremity that's right. why you have a foley when you have a uh, epidural you automatically already have a catheter oh because you feel to pee oh wow i oh yeah I, sorry the thought of a, a catheter actually hurts me more than the epidural for some reason but anyway i was surprised that in my own labor i found myself squatting over the toilet like i mean that's where i found myself that wasn't a choice it was just like that's what my body needed to do i only know you know i was just prompted to be there is that a very typical birthing position? What other positions do you often see women gravitating towards when there is no epidural involved? Usually I will say that they listen to their body like you did. I have mom that is squatting, right? Like I have a mom that I loved. She, like you, um, she will just like sit in the toilet and she will have the birthing pool literally 15 <laughs> steps away or 10 steps away. So close. They were like... In between contraction, do you want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, I feel good over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we totally planned the birth oh, and the water birth throughout her whole pregnancy, she was like, nope, I feel good. <laughs> that would have been and, me. And that was me. Move. It's kind of like one of those things that like, you know, when your body take over and you really allow your body to take over because a lot of times we want to be in control, right? But sometimes... We need to surrender during birth. We kind of just like need to surrender to that feeling like, hey, it is okay not to know these feelings, but it is normal, you know, to feel these feelings and it is okay to accept these feelings. And then sometimes one of those two might be missing because we're just so nervous and feel unprepared for that moment that you're not able to let go or there's a lot of outside voice that tell you you cannot do it this way. Mm. or you need to do something else, or you need to lay down, or you need to stay still. So like, you're not listening to yourself, basically, right? But usually the most natural way is whatever way you feel. Um, I have people that like are still sitting when they are in the pool. A lot of times it could be hands and knees, but when you're actually mobile, it also allow you to help move the baby down easier, right? Because a lot of times you hear stories about like babies being stuck in um OP position like a sunny side up baby where they have a lot of back labor but when you actually have a physiological birth 
a lot of times the baby will also move mm. out of the position easier, you know, if they're not really trapped inside that position and, you know, you can't move, the baby can't move either, you know, then you have to get up this baby out in that particular position. So when you're able to move and listen to your body and able to change position, you have a better chance. Not saying that it's a guarantee, but you do have a better chance that your baby will move when they're descending, when they're coming out. So they do change position. So like a lot of times people have fear about like, oh, do I have to lay on my left side? Do I like, oh, is my baby sunny side up? No, doesn't matter. Like they can change at birth mm. because right, remember like in, in a lot of classes, they would say, oh, you need a LOA baby. That's like the best position. What does that mean, you know, LOA? Baby, like meaning like left occipital, oh. like baby is like facing a certain side or Got like, the, as long as baby's not facing up. Right. You know, they have like this fear like, oh my God, baby's facing up, it's gonna be a difficult labor. It's not necessarily because the baby could surprise you and turn the last minute, you know, right. while you're in labor. Right. You can always move. You're not like looking at like a statue that's inside it's a baby they mm. will like move around right. even when you're in labor so like their position can always change and your position and changing and movement could also help your baby change is there anything that we didn't cover that you would want somebody who's interested in learning more about home births or just birth in general to know i think that it's always good to just reach out i mean i think the first step is always the hardest because it's the unknown Mm. And it's not just about home birth. I think in birth in general, just to reach out to get some information. And maybe like you can reach out to like me or any other home birth midwife. They're happy to like let you know. And even midwives in a the hospital, they're happy to give you information of what they know. And we're here to help. And even some doctor too. And have lovely doctors that are like so pro midwife. Mm -hmm. Those are the best. Yeah. And then... um and I hope we have more, just not because they are not nice. The other one is just that sometimes they might not even know what a midwife does, you know, and, and that's normal because not all hospitals have midwifery care. They don't have midwifery group. So when they go through the training, doesn't mean that they're exposed to midwifery. So they don't know. Of course, they don't know what to recommend. But everybody, I think, has a very important role in this healthcare and how to take care of the community. And I think we just have to work as a team. It's actually because I had a midwife that I was able to find out that I had such a close eye on my pregnancy because I called Yen, she was my first call, and she took my HCG. And you came to my house at about four or five weeks. Uh -huh. And that's very early. Typically, a doctor won't see you until you're, I think, eight weeks, eight weeks to confirm the pregnancy. And because we were monitoring my HCG, we saw that the number didn't do what it was supposed to do very early on. And that was my first clue that things were not going right. And in some circumstances, knowledge is not necessarily better. Like doctors have that eight week confirmation thing because of the high risk of, of miscarriage. I during can't say you can miscarriage, yeah. <laughs> that being said, in my case, it was ectopic and which is very dangerous. And mm -hmm. keeping a close eye on it is probably what saved my life and allowed me, or at least to get medication versus surgery. Uh, mm -hmm. And you, anyway, my point in saying that was that you referred me immediately outside of you once my HCG was not doing what it was supposed to, to an MFM. And it was so beautiful. I felt so supported by both an OB MFM and my midwife. And like just watching the two work together in support of each other felt like this is how it should be. 
if it doesn't work out here and you go here or if a woman wants yeah. to go here and the, and there was just such respect between the two of you and it, it felt really really nice it was beautiful yeah dr rosenberg is the best <laughs> he is great dr rosenberg and hewlett he's incredible yeah. I, honestly, I, I don't even know if I want another child, <laughs> but you I make such a cute baby. <laughs> thank you. But I love birth and being pregnant. I love being pregnant. I love being pregnant. And I love hanging out with you and Dr. Rosenberg. So for all those reasons, I really would consider it. But it, it's so nice to be able to say that is really my point there that like I could have such a positive experience with my healthcare providers that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's one of the reasons I would want to get pregnant again. Semi joking, but semi not. Thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for being you. Thank you for having me. I'll put all of Yen's information below and we will see you back here soon. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.